<clears throat> I'm grateful for this chance to be with you. We are, Susan and I have been traveling a great deal. In fact, she's um, out of town now. And uh, thank you, Bobby Joe, for mentioning the book. Yeah, I do have a book out. I'm just going to say real quickly because I didn't want that to be a distraction. So I would say that first, that the book came out. It's called Humility Illuminated. And uh, so thank you for noting that. <laughs> I um, also want to say how much I appreciate this church. And we've been coming for a couple of years and grateful for getting to know some of you. And, but the other thing I think that I would want to acknowledge is what, I'm, what I want to call an emotional in, in intelligence that we all know is, how, is increasingly, we are increasingly aware of how important that is, especially when we see uh, Christians finally acknowledging that, like in works like Emotional Healthy Spirituality and such, like Pete Scazzaro's work. But I, but I mean that because part of emotional healthy spirituality is being able to acknowledge the tough things as well as the good things. And, and while church is, is an uplifting experience, I mean, in, in evangelical circles, there are pep rallies, you know, at, at oftentimes. <laughs> but at the same time, we need to be able to acknowledge when things are difficult. And I've, I've witnessed that here. So I want to thank you. I was appreciative of the message about the upcoming congregational meeting and the pastoral uh, search, all those things that are happening. Those, those are, those are important events in the life of a congregation, and, you're, and you tackle those things with uh, sincerity, with uh, faith, with prayer, with fortitude, so I'm very encouraged by that. I want to also encourage you in your giving. I, um, I do pay attention to the numbers when I see those things pop up, because I've been a pastor for 30 years, so. <laughs> um, and I want you to know, even though I'm not he when we're not here, we still send our stuff in, because, you know, we set it up, so, we go, so our, our giving is aut automatic. So I would encourage you to do likewise if you're not already. But I wanna, do want to take a moment to, uh, to pray again, uh, continuing the prayer that Bobby Joe prayed, but I want to continue on in that spirit. Lord, we give you thanks again for the gift of this day. We give you thanks because you are good. Your mercies endure forever. We can say thank you. We can sing it. We could actually never sing it enough or say it enough because you have been so good to us. You are good in your being. You are good in what you do. We thank you, Lord. Lord, you see the uh, struggles that we go through as a people, uh, individually and collectively, as nations, as this whole world. You, you, you see that this is a weary world indeed, but you have offered hope and you continually offer hope, and we thank you for that. Lord, I pray for, for Newcom right now. I'm praying, Lord, for the congregational meeting coming up and for the, uh, the, the pastoral search and for decisions that need to be made. I pray, Lord God, for increasing depth of community as we draw closer together and learn to wanna love one another even more deeply, as the scriptures would say, and, and also to have increasing uh, influence for good in the neighborhood. So I pray, Lord God, for these things. And then I ask, Lord, that you would help me at this moment to be able to communicate from your scriptures in a way that would be helpful and fruitful and, and truthful. And I ask, Lord God, for your spirit to guide our time now. I pray these things zealously and with a sense of expectation. I pray them indeed in the name of Jesus we've just been singing about. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
Well, today is the first Sunday of season of Advent. Bobby Joe is explaining a bit of Advent. It means coming or appearance, as you know, and anticipates the birth of Christ. Four Sundays in Advent emphasize hope and peace and joy and love associated with the coming of Jesus. The first Sunday of Advent typically celebrates hope and focuses on promises of the coming Messiah with an emphasis on Christ's second coming, which will make all things new. And that ultimate appearance, what the New Testament calls the parousia, the the Lord Jesus will bring complete renewal to the world. He will bring justice. He will set things right. And those who stubbornly refuse to to, uh, submit to the Lord Jesus or who oppose Jesus will have to confront their evil. But those who have persevered in the faith, even through persecution, will receive eternal reward. Jesus is coming again. Amen. On this Sunday of hope, we will look at Isaiah chapter 11. So please allow me to read Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 10. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, The young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. Lord blesses the reading of his word. This is the word of the Lord. And these words, written hundreds of years before Jesus showed up on earth, at a time when ancient Israel was about to be taken captive by foreign nations. The prophet Isaiah preached both sad news as well as good news to the people. The sad news was that ancient Israel would have to face exile. They would fall to the Babylonian Empire. It would be about 70 years of anguish. That was the hard news. The good news, the gospel, was that God had a plan for healing and wholeness. God would eventually liberate the people. Ancient Israel had to experience the consequences of evil and injustice that had become rampant. The prophets indicted the monarchy. They indicted the priesthood and much of the general population. God would allow the people to go down before they could come back up, but things would get better. 
The cha this chapter of Isaiah is part of the prophet's message of hope. God understands how evil works, how human frailty and sin bring destruction and devastation. God wants us to make a sober assessment about the world, see the evil, and realize that we cannot break the cycles of violence, greed, and exploitation by using violence, greed, and exploitation. Our strategies to fight injustice always fall short without the Spirit of God. We can justify our evil, we can rationalize our violence, we can try to baptize our weapons and call them holy, but until we surrender to the Prince of Peace, we will never experience the shalom God wants for God's creation. Now the funny thing is that many among God's people know this. They know the way of peace, but they seem powerless to change things. They cry out for mercy and wonder if God sees what they see. Well, yes, God sees. God knows. And while prophets deliver sober news of judgment, they also bring good tidings. Prophets deliver words of hope, and that's what we have here in Isaiah 11. This passage before us says that there will be a new day. My first point is that Advent is about hope. Advent is about hope. And lots of us need hope right now. There are depressed people, broke people, lonely people angry people, lost people, faithless people. We need hope. I have a map that I found that comes from the Council on Foreign Relations and displays about 30 conflicts in the world, including violent instability, civil conflicts, and war with other nations. Now Ukraine and Gaza have most of our attention here in the U.S., but there's death and destruction by human hands all over the world. We're in another election cycle, and the Christians in our country are increasingly polarized. I'm not sure if we actually want the Holy Spirit and Scripture to guide us because we seem to put more investment of time and energy into cable news and selfish politicians. It's a good thing we dismissed the kids because I'm keeping it real right now. Hey! Because I know the holly, the tinsel, the evergreen trees, the candy canes, and the brown paper packages tied up in strings can be a source of joy, but there are some huge things happening in the world that an Xbox or a Lexus with a bow on it won't fix. Creation has always needed salvation, and God has provided it in Jesus. It is hard to feel hopeful, even at Christmas, but we have to believe that there is a God who is always moving, always working. We need to remember that we serve a God who is not far away, simply observing us and taking some morbid delight in our struggles. Our God is a God who breaks into the lives and into the affairs of the world. Indeed, he is at work despite the plans and schemes of human beings. We serve a God who engages the world and invites our participation. So back in Isaiah's time, the people of Israel were told to expect a new king, a special king. And that king is described here as one who will be born through the line of King David, Jesse. Mentioned here in verse 1 was King David's father. We know David was flawed, that's for sure. But it was during his reign that God promised that a Messiah would come through King David's family line. Right here in Isaiah 11, the prophet uses this tree imagery to say that a king would emerge from David's family. This is good news. This king would act in accordance with the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit often empowered people at particular points in time to get a job done. 
The Spirit's presence in, in, in an individual was viewed as temporary and specific for some particular task. In this case, the Spirit of God will not just empower this king every now and then to get a job done, but will rest on this king to empower all that he does. This wonderful king would be motivated by an awesome devotion to God, what the text calls a fear of the Lord. Of course, the king is Jesus. But Jesus was not to be born until a few hundred years after Isaiah gives this message. Even so, Isaiah encourages God's people with, with hope through these words. The people were being given something to look forward to. For you and me, the coming of Jesus should also be about hope. The old folks used to say it back in my day, I'm so glad that trouble don't last always. And my ancestors, and perhaps yours too, survived some dark days through hope. They believed in a future that would be better than the present. And in this world of pain, war, sadness, and despair, we need hope. The fact that Jesus regularly breaks into our lives should give us hope. The fact that the Lord is coming again on that great day to set all things in order should be a word of hope for all of us. So here Jesus was born a child and submitted to human parental authority. He grew up and ministered creatively and powerfully to all in his part of the world who would listen and receive. He was crucified unjustly, but his death served to give life to all who would believe. The child born at the very first Christmas is a present reality to all who would follow him today. And then we get to Isaiah here, 11, 3 and 4, we see a description of the ultimate king that resonates with what we know of Jesus from the New Testament. Lord Jesus said he lived to do the will of the Father. And the Lord Jesus did not judge people by appearances. Lord Jesus acted with justice and mercy the way it's described here. Jesus focused his ministry on impoverished people, saying that the Spirit of the Lord had anointed him to preach good news to the poor. He reached out to marginalized people. He was called friend of sinners. His ministry, like Isaiah says, was one of justice and righteousness. Advent is about hope, and it's about hope that's for all of God's creation. Now, it's been pointed out by many, including our friend uh, Dr. Michael Emerson, who used to be here, that most evangelical Christians have an individualistic view of salvation. We think of our own ticket to heaven and not about God's desire to redeem all of creation. Ever since sin entered the world, things have not been as they should be, and God intends for the world to be perfected. But sin has distorted God's creation. Yet, the advent of Jesus is about God's restoration, about God's redemption. As I said, it's about hope. It's about hope that all of God's creation will be perfected. So that's my second point. Advent is about the hope that all of God's creation will be perfected. This picture of creation getting an extreme makeover is not just in the Old Testament. The New Testament teaches the same thing. I want to check out what the Apostle Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 8. I'll start at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. 
For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Advent promises that God will send the ultimate leader, but Advent also promises that God will set all things right. The world will know God's love, God's mercy, God's justice, because right now we are in desperate need of love, mercy, and justice. So Isaiah goes on to preach of a time that sounds unreal. He speaks of a time of peace, and he uses these powerful symbols, every animal and herbivore, the, lamb, the wolf and the lamb recline together so that the wolf doesn't eat the lamb, no more lamb chops for the wolf, no goat meat for the leopard, the baby cows won't be afraid of the bear cubs, even children play near the deadly snakes. The typical circle of life thing gets changed. All the animals get along. As one scholar was pointing out, the scene in verses 6 to 8 is akin to that found in a simple village in many parts of the world where human beings live in close proximity to animals and the intersections can be hostile while every form of life fights for its survival. These villages, however, are crucial to society but easily ignored. So if justice and righteousness comes, it'll come to the most vulnerable and all of society gets better. Isaiah's prophecy isn't some Christmas miracle of having a snowman come to life or a reindeer with a red nose. It's actually closer to a Dickens story when a rich man is confronted with the fear of God and stops exploiting his employees. I actually saw a tweet from a few years ago that said, I feel like this holiday season, it's important to remind people of the true meaning of Christmas. Ghosts terrorizing rich people in the middle of the night until they agree to pay their employees more. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. But there's like some truth in it. Because <laughs> Christmas is of course about Jesus. But I will say that I think Charles Dickens comes closer to the message of Advent than many of our cultural traditions. <laughs> See the prophet says that humanity's pain will be taken away and there will be peace. I mean, you see it there in verse 9? Nothing will hurt or destroy on my holy mountain. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. The, 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 the great seed of Jesse, the new King David, will rule the world. As the old hymn says, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun does its successive journeys run. Advent is about hope. It's not the hope that you're going to get all the material gifts you want under your tree. It's more than that. Advent is about hope that all of God's creation will be perfected. What God intended from the beginning will finally come to pass, and there is more. Advent is about hope for a lasting peace. I sometimes find it hard to talk about real peace. <laughs> Years ago, I was in a different city, and I was teaching a class that they asked me to teach called the Bible and Peacemaking, and the entire class was like this real, I don't know, it was tense at times, trying to understand what godly peace means in a world that's so violent. And it's hard because we don't really have many models of godly peace. 
So so I wonder if we can use our sanctified imaginations to picture the sort of world that Isaiah is describing. I mean, how might that knowledge that the world will be like that impact the way I live right now? What sort of decisions might we make if we thought Jesus would bring peace into chaotic situations? We, we typically take the Bible's images of peace and turn them into a vague sense of internal happiness where you get what you want out of life, get your best life right now. It is the American dream in biblical packaging. The idea of peace being pervasive, widespread, encompassing all of creation just seems so ridiculous, even to Christians. Some Christians are, are among the most supportive of violence. They figure the best we can hope for is some sort of Pax Americana where the powerful military strength of the USA keeps us relatively safe and comfortable. That's how people thought at the time Jesus was born. The Roman emperor at the time Jesus was born was Caesar Augustus. You know that because you'll hear that story many times. It's, it's the part that Linus gets to read in the Charlie Brown Christmas. I like that part because he doesn't actually read it. He recites it. Spotlight on him, Linus in his blanket. In the days of Caesar Augustus, he issued a decree that the whole world should be taxed. The days of Caesar Augustus. That emperor's great uncle was Julius Caesar. Julius adopted the young man, Octavian, and eventually Octavian became emperor and took on the title Augustus. It means things like great and splendid where we get the name of the month, August, from, from Caesar Augustus. And just a few years before Jesus was born, people started calling Julius Caesar a god. People celebrated his birthday. They sang hymns in his honor. And of course, once Julius Caesar was called a god, Augustus, his adopted son, was called the son of God. We've seen it on coins. Furthermore, they gave him the title, bringer of the euangelion, the good news, gospel. They call them savior. Isn't that interesting? If you were an ordinary citizen living under Roman rule, you would keep hearing people talk about the emperor being a god. And and there's something else that's interesting. It was around this time that the emperor set out to bring peace and prosperity to all of the Roman empire, sort of like our politicians say they want to do. Caesar Augustus started what was called the Pax Augusta, the Peace of Augustus, which later was called the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. The typical Roman peasant, therefore, had an emperor that people worshiped and who brought relative peace and safety to the land. If you were Jewish, there were problems. Your people might not have full citizenship, so you would not enjoy all the privileges available. You could even be crucified if you did not pledge allegiance to Rome. We knew that happened. Also, your faith would contradict the notion that Caesar Augustus is the son of God. So if you lived back then, You should not have had a hard time, though, figuring out who the real son of God was. It wasn't the sickly man who had three wives and lots of family drama. The son of God wasn't the man who brought Rome only a temporary peace, but was part of why the empire eventually fell apart. The son of God wasn't the man who ended up senile and bitter. The son of God wasn't the man who forced his promiscuous daughter into exile and left her to die on a barren island. The son of God wasn't the man who had flashes of brilliance, but ended up destroying countless lives, including his own. The real son of God was the one born on that night that we sing about. In another place, you heard it here when we lit the candle, Isaiah calls him the prince of peace. 
The one called the son of David is the son of God who brings lasting peace. Amen. The angels sang to the shepherds to tell them that the baby born in Bethlehem would bring peace to this earth. That's the unfinished part of Christmas. That's the hope of Advent. It is the hope for a peace that's not just an internal comfort when the world is going crazy. At least we want some of that internal comfort, but it's more than that. The peace the Lord gives is a peace that will heal all of creation. It's a wonderful, glorious, triumphant peace. There will be peace, not just for a season, but forever. In that day, Isaiah says, a king will come. In that day, the Spirit of God will have full control. In that day, the Son of God will be crowned as king. In that day, all creation will be redeemed. In that day, all creation will sing for joy. In that day, the nations will be drawn to God's great king. In that day, salvation will come to all those in exile, to all those who lived in darkness, to all those who yearned for justice, for mercy, and for peace. In that day. Our Lord Jesus will come to make all things new. Do you look forward to that day? I look forward to that day, because that's Advent. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Continue clapping your hands for the Word of God. <laughs> Stand in your as we sing this song, and a response is what was said. For in that day, we will sing about Jesus being our King.